Well, this morning, I, I'm, I've got the joy to bring God's word uh, to us, and that is because Pastor Ken is not here this morning, not in Montgomery County, but I do believe we've got a photo. Ooh, how about that, right? You guys know where that is? That's Jerusalem right there, taken by Pastor Ken within the last 24 hours, within the last two hours? Hour! That's, that's Pastor Ken's view. Struggle not with jealousy, right? Rejoice, rejoice with those who rejoice. Isn't technology great and stuff like this that we, we get to see uh, Jerusalem, right? And I, I don't know if some of you guys know some of those that have gone. You know, I think about 20 plus from our church have gone uh, to Israel. They left last week and are getting back on Thursday. And so far, it just looks like they're having a great, a great time getting to walk where Jesus walked. And uh, I've been looking at some of the pictures that Sam Hinojosa, who, who usually plays uh, the electric guitar for us on Sunday mornings. He's been posting. He's like, here I am by the Sea of Galilee where it's thought that Jesus, you know, you know made that fish breakfast for his, you know, disciples after his resurrection. Like, how sweet is that, right? Like, I don't know if they had like fish tacos to kind of like commemorate or, or celebrate that, but it's just sweet, right? That I know one person posted, I, I think it was Zach posted that he got to like FaceTime with his dad and see the sunrise on the, over the Sea of Galilee, like while he's at work. It's amazing. It's amazing, right? And so I, I know that uh, they're just having a great, a great time. And, and I don't know if you've ever been around people that have gone to Israel and done something like this, but it's, it's exciting to have them come back because they're, they're excited, right? Like you're going to see some excited people next Sunday that have been in Israel and are excited to talk about it and excited like they're going to pull out their phones and they're just showing you every single picture that they have taken while they're there because they're so excited. And, and I, I think, watch out for this phrase next week. I'm, I'm pretty sure that you'll hear it, right? It, it, that people are going to say like, hey, I felt like the Bible was just coming alive to me. Have you ever heard that from people that have gone over there that, you know, it's one thing to kind of read about the Bible, but it's a whole other thing to like actually be there in the, in the places where it happened, right? That you kind of get things that maybe didn't jump out at you in the text before that all the times it talks about going up to Jerusalem, then when you're there, you realize, oh, Jerusalem's on a hill. We're actually like hiking up a hill to get to Jerusalem, right? All these things that like you, you can understand about the land of Israel by reading about it and by hearing about it, but it's a whole different thing to experience it. So we can take that photo away because everybody's just gonna be looking at that and not listening to God's word if we keep it, if we keep it up there, right? Uh, but it's one thing to hear about it. It's a whole nother thing to experience it. And I, and I think that same dynamic may be going on in the passage that we'll be looking at today. Matthew 7, 7 through 11 Please open up your Bibles and, and turn there uh, with me. And this is a passage that probably many of us are, are familiar with. We've heard it, heard, heard about it. Maybe we've even heard a, a sermon or teaching on it, or we've, we've read through it in, in our time in God's Word personally. But I, I wonder if, if we're honest with ourselves, if, if many of us can feel like what's described here in this passage is kind of like an Israel-type thing. Right, where we've kind of heard about it, but we don't feel like we've experienced it. We kind of, we've, we've read about the valleys and the mountains and the peaks, but maybe we haven't walked through them. And uh, so let's read Matthew 7, 7 through 11 this morning together. Where, where Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who seeks receives, and the one who seeks finds, 
And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks you for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Um, I'm very excited that God has directed our focus to this text, even, even for where we're at, the, the week after uh, Resurrection Sunday, where we got to celebrate uh, the death and burial and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to, to thank him and to remember together as a church body all that he's done for us. And I, I just want to remind us all that, that, that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, has purchased things for us that continue each and every single day of our lives, right? Good Friday, we, we remember from the story, right, that all that Christ accomplished through, through dying, but, but one thing I think sometimes we can forget is what was happening in the temple, right? You saw the picture of it. That's kind of the temple mount where there's actually the temple has been torn down and there's a mosque there right now, but, the, you know, these people are excited. You, they're going and they're, they're, they're looking at the temple and they see all that, all that was built there, but basically God's presence dwelt there, but it was separated from his people. Right, that there was a progressive kind of step level of, 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 of separation that God had instituted that, you know, there's kind of a, a court that the Gentiles can come into, but they can't go any closer, right? And then there's a, a court that Jews can go into, uh, but they can't go any closer from that. And then there's that inside the actual structure itself. And then behind the veil, behind the curtain, there's the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwells. And only one person gets to go in that once a year. And that's the high priest of the nation of Israel. And, and he only goes in there after numerous sacrifices have been made to atone for the sin of the high priest so that he can actually go into God's presence and be acceptable and be clean before the Lord. But on the night that Jesus was crucified, that veil, that veil that's actually, it's no, it's no meager curtain, it's about a foot thick from top to bottom, right, that veil was torn in two. Right, that, that what had separated God from his people has been torn aside, and it's not coming back. Right? We celebrate that in Hebrews 4, right? that through our, our great high priest and our perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, we've been given access to God. Right? We've actually been adopted into God's family to now where we don't just have to relate to him as, as some far-off deity, right? that we can actually relate to him as a child would to a father. Right? Think about that. Think about how great it is that, that we get to pray to the Lord, right? That is something that saints, you know, throughout, before Jesus Christ, right, before what he accomplished on the cross, that access to God had to be mediated, right? You had to kind of go through a priest and you could only get so close. But now through Christ, we've been given direct access where we can come in boldness and confidence before the throne of God and find mercy and grace to help in times of need. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? And this passage, this is a sweet passage. This is one that should fire us up. It's one that should get us excited about what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, right? And so the first point, if you've got a note sheet as you're coming in, our first thing that we're gonna see is that there are promises that are purchased through Jesus Christ that are available to you if you're a believer that God kind of lays out and displays beautifully for us in this passage. The first thought that I want to direct your attention to is that we have a heavenly Father who longs for us to come and ask Him for things. All right, think about that for a moment. Just think about that. 
right? The God of the entire universe, think about the vastness of the universe, think about all of its complexity, think about the complexity even present in one cell of the, the billions and trillions of cells that make up even just your body, the God who created all of that with his words wants to hear from his children. And we've been made his children, right? We weren't his children until we got saved, until we gave our lives to Jesus Christ. But think about that, that, that God is not disengaged, right? If you were to survey kind of children and father relationships, even here in Montgomery County, you would find a lot of dads that are not in tune with their kids, right? That they're disconnected, disengaged, right? And maybe, maybe kids have long since stopped stopped asking their dads for things because they realize, hey, when, when he's working on the car or when he's watching sports, like, he's not to be bothered, right? He doesn't care about me in those moments, right? Football is more important than I am to my dad. Many, many, many kids know that in, in Montgomery County uh, today, right? And, and, but God's not like that. God, God is not like that. God is engaged with his children. It's like he is, he is standing there waiting for us to come to him, right? He is eager to hear our, our, our requests, and his attitude towards us is not a miserly attitude. His attitude is not, well, you better go get yourself a job, and then I'll give you some good things, and, and start carrying your own weight, and then I'll bless you. No, God, God longs to bless us because we are his children, because we've been adopted into his family through his son, Jesus Jesus Christ. And this is something that we get, and that's why Jesus, he uses an illustration that we're all familiar with. Look at verse 9. He says, which one of you, if his son asks him for, a, a, you know, bread, something that's good for him, something for him to eat, is going to give him a stone? Or if he asks you for a fish, uh, a McFish sandwich, uh, will give him a serpent, will give him a rattlesnake, right? Not, not going to happen, right? We get that, right? Now, I'm a, I'm a dad. I've got three boys. My oldest is, is Charlie, and, um, you know, we've got this special thing that happens in the mornings at the, at the Blakey house. You know, some, some kids, I don't know what, what your kids are like if you've got kids, um, but some of them, once they wake up, they're ready to go, they're happy, they're excited, bring on the day, carpe diem, here we go, right? Not, not so with, with Charlie, right? Charlie takes a little while to, you know, just square with reality in, in the morning, and, you know, it's almost like he's a young person who, like, needs his coffee, but we don't let him drink, drink coffee, but we do let him drink juice, and juice is kind of like Charlie's like morning cup of coffee, like, hey, you know, when I, when I wake up, like, I'm going to ask for some juice, and I'm going to sit there with my stuffed animal lion, and I'm just going to kind of ease into the day a little bit, and, and because that's become such a pattern, that's just the way days start off for Charlie, like, like, I get up before Charlie, and I'm excited that, like, I've got juice ready, and it's already in the sippy cup, like, mixed with the right proportions of juice and water, so he doesn't get, like, you know, doesn't mess with him too much, right? And it's like, I cannot wait in the mornings for the time where, where, where Charlie comes, you know, he wakes up, and he, and he kind of sits in his bed, and he says, juice, please, Daddy. And I'm just like, yes, here it is. I've been waiting. I've been ready. Like, I'm, I'm excited to give you something that is good for you, that you need. Like, that's a joy for me as a dad. And, and even when, like, Charlie, he's just, you know, hey, I'm playing with my toys. Can you help me, daddy, right? How can I not drop whatever I am doing and, and come to the aid of this, this cute and lovable son of mine that I, that I love so much? And, it, and that's the way that, that it works in the Blakey house. And, and I'm evil, 
according to this passage, right? Like, I, I've got a sin nature. My, my, I, I'm not a perfect parent, right? I fall short in many, in many ways as a parent. But I love my son, and I long to do what is good for him. I long to give things for him. When he is asking something of me, I, I, I want to be in tune. I want to say yes to something that's good for him and something that that he needs. And, and Jesus kind of makes an argument from the lesser to the greater here where he's saying, hey, if you who are evil know this, if you guys get this, then how much more should we be expecting God to be even better than that? Right? If I long to give what's good to my son, Charlie, how much more does the perfect father that we have in heaven who has no faults whatsoever how much more should we be excited about his desire to do what is good for us? Right? That's, that's a promise. Right? That's a promise that we should be thinking about on a daily basis that, that, that our view of God is that he is, it's basically like he's standing there waiting, inviting, saying, hey, what do you need? I, I'm ready to help you. I'm ready to give you what you need. I'm ready to give you what is good and best and right for you. Ask me for it, please. Ask me for it. I'm a father that longs to give what is good to those who ask. Right? That's the relationship that has been purchased for you because of Jesus Christ. Rejoice in that. That's a promise that we should be banking on every single day, that God is attuned to our needs, he knows what's good for us, and he longs, us to, longs for us to ask. That's the, the second promise, right? Is that really, we see in the, in the first verse of this, of this text, we see that that's kind of the way it's, it's presented, right? Ask, and it will be given to you. It's not seek, and maybe you'll find, you know, perhaps-ish, Knock, maybe it'll be open for you, maybe it won't, but just give it a, give it a try, give it a whirl. That's not kind of the, the mentality that Jesus is putting forward here. He's putting forward a, a confidence mentality where, where we, we should be able to expect God to answer our prayers. That's a promise, right? That if you're, if you're a Christian and you're going to the Lord, that God is promising to answer your prayers, right? We never, a Christian never prays to the Lord, and it falls on deaf ears. It's not like God has a big email inbox that he's like, you know, hey, maybe I'll get to that someday, but there's a lot, lot ahead of you. I'm just gonna work my way down the list. Not so with God. God stands ready to answer the prayers of his people. And at this point, I think some of us, if we're, if we're honest, we're like, okay, I've kind of heard about that, but, but I'm not sure if that's for real, right? Some of us, I, I think, can be tempted to kind of doubt what this text is saying even this morning, right? And we at Lakeside, we've got strong confidence in God's word. We say, hey, God's word is true and right and sufficient and infallible. But I think functionally, we can start treating this text as if, yeah, that's not really gonna work, right? Maybe, maybe that's because of the experience that we've had in the past. Maybe some of us, like, like me when I was a kid, asked God for superpowers, Right? Ask God for the ability to literally fly. Did not, did not happen. Did not happen. What's the deal? It seems as if the way it's presented, that, that why not? What's going on here? Right? Maybe some of you uh, men who work, work right? uh, you, you got a boss that's not a fun boss to work for. He's a, he's a hard boss. He, he seems like he has it out for you. Um, and you've prayed. You've asked the Lord, hey, please change my boss, right? Either, either change him to where he's more easy to work with and work for, or give me a new boss, or give me a, another job, or maybe make me my, my, own, my own boss. And you've prayed and you've asked the Lord for that, and it hasn't happened. 
Right? Maybe some of you, you're in a trial. Maybe it's something in your family or, or something with your health, and you've gone to the Lord, and you've asked him to take that away, and, and it's still ongoing to this day, maybe even, maybe even right now. And we see how it's written, and we understand it, but it seems like we, we can say, I, I don't know if that's really working. I don't, I don't know if that's really going to work. And, and I think, as I look at this text, I, I think the problem is not with, with prayer and the way that God has set it up. I don't think there's a deficiency in the relationship that God has brought us into and the way that he's directed us in his word. I, I think the problem is more with us, right? The problem is more user error than anything. And so our next point on your notes is that, okay, if this is what God is kind of putting out for us, right, and we can kind of understand it, then why don't we, why don't we see that? In our lives, why why don't we see this kind of thing happening regularly on a daily basis in prayer before the Lord? Why why is that? What is the problem? Right, and here, here's a number of problems. Right, one that we can just note right off the beginning is that uh, prayer might not be functioning quite in this way in the life of a person because that person's not related to God. Right, the way that Jesus kind of puts this out here is that there, there's a father child relationship that gets us rights and privileges with the Lord, right? Like Charlie, right, when he gets up in the morning, has a right and expectation that I will, I will give juice to him, right, that I will do what is good for me, for him. But if someone else, right, were to call me up and say, hey, I, I need some juice, right, I'd be like, okay, maybe, maybe I will give them juice, but like they don't have any right for my juice, right? I'd be like, who are you and why are you calling me for juice? Like, that's kind of weird. You know, I, I, you shouldn't expect that, right? And that's the thing is that if someone is still an enemy of God, they should not be expecting God to bless them and to answer their prayers, right? God is omniscient. He hears all prayers, but he is attentive to the prayers of his people, right? He longs to answer the prayers of his people, right? There. Uh, you know, you know there, may be, there, there may be some people who've said, hey, hey, this hasn't worked. I tried prayer. I asked God for this. But they're still an enemy of God. They are still in active rebellion against him, right? And that's not something God wants to support, right? That's not something that, that, that God wants to keep on going, right? That's something that, that God wants to help that person to see, like, hey, I, I will invite you into that relationship, but you've got to get saved, right? That relationship has to begin before those blessings will flow, right? Before, before we, we get to have that expectation of good things before the Lord. So maybe even you're here and, and maybe you're like, man, I'm giving, I'm giving religion one more try. I'm giving church one more try. I've tried it before. I've prayed before. If you haven't given your whole life to Jesus Christ, if you haven't turned from your sins, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, Right? It's not going to work like this because this is a special thing for God and his children. Right? So prayer may not work if you're not related to the Lord, if you haven't been adopted into God's family. A second problem, look at verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Right? Those, are, those are commands. Those are commands. Those are things where God is telling his people what he wants them to do. He's telling us to pray right? Right? The second problem is we don't have because we don't ask, right? There's, there's kind of a conditionality to this promise, right? If you, if you pray, then you can expect this, right? But if you don't pray, maybe you won't be able to expect 
some of these things, right? It, there's a conditionality to it, right? And this is a command. This is not kind of an optional if you want to or this is Christianity, you know, kind of 4.0 and I'm still on like 1.0, haven't upgraded quite, quite there yet. Um, and it's something that we can neglect to obey very, very often if we're honest with ourselves. And let me, let me ask you this. Like say you, you had a friend and that friend came to you and they said, hey, I, I've been neglecting uh, to, to pay for my groceries recently, H-E-B. Just put them in the cart, bypass the whole checkout process, put them in my car, drive away. It's been going on for a while. How would, how would you react to that? You'd, you'd think it's serious, right? Okay, maybe a friend comes to you and they say, hey, I, I've been neglecting uh, to obey the law recently. I've been doing cocaine. It's just kind of, it's just, I've just been neglecting to obey that, that area of the law a, a little bit, right? You, you, you'd feel that very serious, Right, or ladies, if, a, if another woman came to you and said, hey, I've just been neglecting to be faithful to my husband recently, like, those would be a, that would be a big deal, right? That conversation would be like, no, we need to stop whatever else we're doing. We need to talk about this right now. We need to pray about this right now. I need to call you to repent and, and turn away from that right now, here today. And we wanna, we wanna get you with, a, with accountability and we wanna point you to Christ and we wanna help you to understand what God wants from you and your, and your life, and maybe we even need to grab someone else to jump in on this with, with us, right? Like, we would, we would have that kind of reaction to people saying, I'm neglecting to obey this command of the Lord, but why maybe when someone comes to us and said, hey, I just feel like I haven't been praying a lot recently, I'm kind of just got, got out of the habit of prayer, why, why is possibly our response, I'll pray for you about that, and then we don't pray for it about that. Right? Like we've got to take this seriously. Not praying to the Lord it is a big deal. Right? It, look, turn to 1 Peter 5, and we'll just see this even more pointedly. 1 Peter chapter 5 is Peter's you know, kind of wrapping up his, uh, his letter here. And he's talking about relationships within the church and how he wants the church to be submissive to the elders and he wants everyone to be clothed with humility, that they, they're, they're humble in their interactions uh, with one another. And then he makes these famous statements in, in verses six and seven that we'll read in 1 Peter chapter five, six and seven, where he says, humble your, yourselves therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. We've heard that before. Look at the next verse. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now those are not two separate sentences. Verse six and verse seven are the same sentence, right? Let me, permit me to get grammatical on you for, for a moment. If I were to say to one of you in this room, hey, hey, go get me a drink of water running into the hall. Right, and that's the way that I, that I phrased it, right? You would understand that the main thing that I'm asking you for is, is the water, right? Like, but the way that I ask you for it, and my, my attaching that participle, you guys remember back from high school, participles, right? They kind of modify a verb, right? That, that I'm modifying it, and I'm, I'm almost kind of directing you in how I want you, or I'm asking you to get me that drink of water. Like, when I say that, it's almost like someone needs to get up and run like into the hall, maybe I'm choking or something like that, right? I, I've got water here, so nobody has to do that. Um, but that, the way that that's written and the way that Peter phrases that and the words that he used helps us to understand that when he says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and then he uses the participle of casting, casting your anxieties on him, that he is giving us direction on what humbling ourselves before the Lord looks like in its prayer. 
It's prayer. It's us going to the Lord and bringing our requests to him for he cares for us. Sounds very similar to the passage that we're looking at in Matthew 7, 7 through 11. And so the correlation there is, is that basically Peter is saying that if you are not praying, you're proud. Right? The humble person prays. The humble person realizes their dependence on the Lord and their need for God to work in their life and how little that they can do in their own strength, and so they pray. They cast their cares upon the Lord, knowing that God cares for them, that God is involved, he is invested, he longs to do what is right and good for his people. That's a scary correlation when you go back to verse five, where he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's almost as if Peter is saying, God opposes the prayerless person, but gives grace to the one who prays. Right? Think about that. If you want to go through your day this week being opposed by God because of your pride, because you are neglecting to pray, you are neglecting to depend on him through prayer. Right? That's a scary place to be. I, I, I don't want to be, have it be described of me that God is opposing me, Right? How, how scary is that, that the God of the universe would oppose? And I think this can even happen in, in some way for a believer, right? That God has set his seal for us in Christ, but it's not like this, what this passage in Matthew 7 is talking about. We shouldn't be expecting that, right? That maybe God's gonna bring something very hard into our lives to force us to rely on him if we're not willing to do that on our own, if we're not gonna be willing to make that choice to do that at the outset of a day. He might bring something that's hard to force us to do that. Right, let's get, look, just turn over one book to the left in the book of James chapter four, right, and we'll see this same kind of thing listed here, and then we'll see one other, we'll see one other thing. James 4.4 4 says, or James 4.2 says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Right? Many of the reasons that we don't experience these blessings from the Lord is because we're not asking him for it. Right? It's not going to work if we don't ask. If we're not going to the Lord and praying, it's not going to work. And if you think about it, basically what we're saying, if we're not willing to go to the Lord and ask, is we're saying, hey, hey God, I got this. You know, I, I know I, I might need you from time to time, kind of be on call for me, but like, as I go throughout my day, I, I'm good. Right? Like if Charlie were to say, like, no, Dad, I, I don't need any juice from you. Right, I got my own juice. I'd be like, wait, where, where did you get said juice? Like, you have no money. You have no ability to go to a, a place where you could purchase juice. You don't have any juice. You need juice, right? Like, that's the way we are, right? Like, if we're saying to the Lord, hey, I got this. I can do this in my own strength. We're deceiving ourselves, and we're neglecting the one who says, hey, I, I sent my son to die for you so that I could adopt you into my family and so that I could show you how great I am and how good I am and so that you would not just know about that conceptually but so that you would experience that on a daily basis in your life. Right? How, how, how foolish and sinful are we to say, no, God, I don't need that. I'll get back to you when I need you. But for now, I'm good. That's what we do every day that we don't pray. 
every day that we don't pray, right? So that's another problem. The other problem that we see here in James, right, look at verse three, he says, you ask, so maybe there are times that you are asking for things and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Another problem is that we're not asking for the right things or asking for things with the wrong motives. Now, th- now think about this. Like I, I remember, you know, as a spiritually immature, um, you know, kind of maybe fifth or fifth or sixth grader, asking God to give me the ability to dunk a basketball. But I thought that would be pretty cool. You know, I thought that would be that would be fun. And to this day, God has never answered that request. I mean, look at my stature, look at my general athleticism, and you'll see why. Um, but, it, you know, like that, that was a, a request that, you know, I remember going to the Lord, hey, that, that hasn't been answered. What's the deal with that? But God knows what's good for me, right? God knew that if I were to be able to dunk a basketball, that I would not be giving God the glory, that I would not make that all about him. And even if I, you know, did one of these, I'd still be all about me. And I'd be thinking, man, I am hot stuff and everybody should want to think I'm cool. And, and I would be wanting to spend that on myself, right? It would be all about me, right? And so God says you ask and you don't receive because you ask for things that are all about you. I mean, if you were to survey what people request of the Lord kind of just in general here in Montgomery County, probably two of the top things that you'd find would be health and safety, right? Not necessarily bad things, right? Not, nothing wrong with being healthy or, or being safe, right? But have you thought about that that might not be what God wants for you and that might actually have a negative effect in your life right that uh, you think about it. if you're healthy and and just everything comes easy to you and you're really fit uh, you could be really tempted to trust more in your exercise regimen than in the lord right you could be tempted to put your, your your trust into your your dietary plan rather than the lord and you think hey i'm doing everything that's right i'm good i don't need god to be in control of my health and my body and there might be a time where God actually brings some sickness into your life to show you that you need him and that you can't trust in your dietary plan and your exercise regimen. Right? You think about safety, right? That's something we're very concerned about here in America. You look at the early church, not a whole lot of safety going on. Not, not, not a whole lot of comfort and freedom from oppression or persecution. Right? It was not God's good will for the early church to be safe. Right? And we ask that for the Lord to the Lord a lot. Right? Not that it's wrong to ask for safety, but I think we've got to realize that that's something we've got to hold with an open hand. That God, God might determine in his fatherly, ultimate, infinite wisdom that the best thing for us is not safety. Right? And we might be asking for it not because we want God's plans and God's purposes to be accomplished in our life, but just because we want to be comfortable. And we want an easy life. And we don't want to have to struggle with anything. We don't want to have to depend on the Lord for our strength. Right? Some of the things we ask for might be, might be good, but God knows what's good for us. Right? Turn, back, turn back to Matthew 7. Hopefully you still got your finger there. If you go back to Matthew 7, you see in verse 9 right, that, you know, hey, if a father, you know, if someone asks for a loaf of bread, the father's not going to give him a stone. If he asks for a fish, he's not going to give him like a cotton mouth, right? But, but what happens in our life with the Lord when we ask God for the snake? Like if Charlie were to come up to me and say, hey, dad, can, you, can, can I get a cotton mouth? Can I, 
play with it and snuggle it a a, a little bit? I, I would be like, no, absolutely not. What are you even thinking of asking for such a thing such as that? Right? And know that in our lives, God knows what, what the snake is and what the fish is. Right? We, we might be convinced that, that the snake is actually a fish. Oh, this is so good for me. This is so, this, is, this would be great. If only this would happen, then everything would go well in my life. And, and God knows different a lot of times. Right? So maybe the problem is, is that our, our desires and what we're asking for, maybe that's not really lining up with what God wants us to ask for. Right? Uh, prayers for superpowers, dunking a basketball, don't line up with God's good purposes for the life of Billy Blakey, right? Think about in your life, there may be many things that you're frustrated that you don't see God doing in your life, and maybe it's because you're asking for the wrong things, or maybe it's because you're asking for good things, but with wrong motives, right? That it's all about you. It's not about God and, and, and the progression of his kingdom and his glory. It's about me and my comfort and my fun here on this life living for me. It's a problem. It's a problem. Now, this passage has been, has been misinterpreted, right? Maybe it's, it's one of the most misinterpreted. A lot of people, you know, use this to have that kind of name it and claim it kind of theology where, hey, you want wealth? You, this is a promise right here. You pray for it, and if you have enough faith, it'll happen for you. And if it's not happening for you, you must not have enough faith, right? Like, there's a lot of errors in theology that have happened as a result of this verse. And so we ought to be careful that as we're studying God's word, that we're bouncing our interpretation of this text against all of the other things that God has said in his word about prayer. Things like John 16, 23. Let me read that for you, where Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Kind of a similar, similar statement, but with one qualification that you're asking it in my name. Now, we, we kind of tend to think of that phrase as kind of like the, the hang-up phrase to a you know, phone call between us and God. Okay, in Jesus' name, bye. Amen. You know, that's kind of the way that we use it a lot. We think it's just this phrase we tack on to the end of a prayer. And sometimes I wonder, do we even know what we're talking about when we're saying in Jesus' name as we pray? Really, what, what Jesus is talking about is praying for things that are in line with his character and his purposes, right? That, that his name talks about who he is, right? Names in the, in the Bible meant a lot more in that culture than they do in our culture, So Jesus is saying, like, hey, anything that you are asking God for that is in line with my character and my will and my purposes, God will do it. God will do it for you. And that's a promise. And I think a lot of times we don't see this actually happening because we're not actually praying for things that we have confidence are are in accordance with God's character and his purposes in our lives. If you were to think about it, what should we pray for? What, What does fit in that category. Turn back in Matthew, just to Matthew chapter 6, one chapter over to the left, right? You want to know what God promises to bless? You want to know what God's will is for you to pray for? Look at Matthew 6, 9 through, through 13, right? Where Jesus says, pray like this, right? The first thing he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? That God says we should be asking him for God's name to be hallowed, to be set apart, to be lifted high, to be shown to be glorious, shown to be awesome and majestic and powerful like it is, ask God for that, and, and that's not a request that God's going to be, well, maybe, maybe, or wait, or no. No, absolutely, God has said, I will glorify my name. 
right? So if we're asking God to glorify his name, to hallow his name, to have it set apart, we can guarantee that God is going to answer that with a yes. If you in your life are praying just like Moses, where Moses says, God, show me your glory, make yourself more beautiful, more majestic in my eyes than I see you right now, God didn't say, nah, not right now, too busy. Oh, that's a, that's a request that God delights to answer. Right, we won't have time. Maybe it would be a good thing for you to go through this week. Just go through and look at these, these phrases, right? They aren't just meant to be kind of repeated mindlessly, but are kind of directions where God is directing us in the way that he wants us to pray. And so we need to take time and look at, hey, okay, if God wants me to pray his kingdom to come, what are the specific ways in which, what are the specific things that that, that would entail, Right? that the gospel would be preached, that people would get saved, right? that God would give boldness to those who are proclaiming the gospel, that God would give me boldness. Right? Those are the things we've got to be taking that direction that Jesus gives us and praying fervently in that direction. Right? If you're asking God to grow you spiritually, God, help me to hate my sin. I've got this sin that I'm struggling with and, and my flesh just is attracted to it. God, cause me to hate that sin. Yes, yes is the answer. To that, God has said that he will sanctify his people, that he will grow his people. As we think about Lakeside Bible Church, we want God to grow us as a church body. We want God to use us to be a light, and God has promised to do that. God says, pray that God would send out laborers into his harvest. God says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right? We've got to be making sure that our prayers are in line with what God has already said he is going to do. Right? And if we do that, we can have confidence that God is going to respond, that he's going to respond with a yes. Right? God never says, no, I'm not going to glorify my name. No, I'm going to let my glory go to another. Never. Never does God do that. Right? Another problem, and we'll see two more quickly here. That, that look at the verse 7 in Matthew 7. It says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Why, why the three things? Right? Why, why, why is it listed three times, right? I think Jesus is saying it three times in three distinct ways to help impress upon his, his listeners the urgency of prayer, that there should be a fervor to our prayer, that maybe asking, you could take that in kind of a nonchalant, kind of casual way, but when seeking, right, when I'm looking for something, there's an element of, it, of intensity, and that word knock is not just kind of a gentle you know, kind of, hey, hey, I'm here at the door kind of thing. It's like a pounding. It's a, it's a rap on the door that has is, is, is got some intensity to it. And that's the way that God wants us to approach him. He wants us to approach him with fervor and with enthusiasm, with desperation, right? Jesus demonstrated this for us, right? That on the night before he's crucified, he's praying and it's so intense that he's sweating drops of blood because he's praying so, so fervently. Prayer to Jesus was not a formal you know, kind of reserved, kind of like, let me make sure all my wording is proper uh, kind of thing. It was something that was done with urgency, with, with fervency. One author talking about periods of revival where God has done, you know, pronounced work in the history of his church. He says, a lot of times you can kind of see that revival is coming when you start hearing God's people groan. When you start hearing them groan in prayer. He uses this phrase, when you hear the O. Oh, 
coming back, that our prayers are like, oh, Lord, we need this. We're begging you for this. Like, God, please, please do this. Where we're pleading God's promises with the Lord and asking him fervently to respond. A lot of times, maybe, you know, in in the minute that we pray and we kind of throw out some kind of perfunctory request with just phrases that we're not even thinking about what we're saying, God doesn't necessarily promise to to bless that type of, you know, kind of surface level prayer. But God does promise to bless prayer that's urgent, prayer that's desperate, prayer that is coming to him and saying, I'm gonna keep on knocking until you answer. I'm gonna keep on knocking, right? And maybe I have to knock for a while before God answers. But I'm gonna keep on doing it because I'm that desperate for something that I don't have, right? I'm desperate for God to be at work in in my life, right? It's not a perfunctory. We're not using phrases like bless this food, right? Like, do you actually know what you're saying when you say bless this food, right? Maybe some of you got asked God to bless your food yesterday at Whataburger and that was not a request that God answered favorably. I'm not sure if you ate there yesterday, but that's what we gotta do. And that, that kind of urgency, it's not something that can happen in a minute before a meal. It's not the sort of thing that's going to happen in the 30-second prayer that you give in your, in your car. And that's why we see, like, the great men of God in the Bible, they're setting aside time to pray. Because that kind of prayer it isn't going to happen like that. It's going to be something that we have to labor. We have to, you know, sit long with the Lord to be fervent in prayer. And so a question for you is, are you setting aside time every day to pray? If not... Something else needs to go in your schedule, right? You can take out your calendar, look at it later today. Prayer can't be it. That's a non-negotiable, right? What else is gonna go? Pick, pick, pick whatever it is, but something else needs to go. If you've scheduled yourself so tight so that you have no time to sit with God and pray and bring your requests to him, knowing that he longs to answer, that he cares for you, something else has gotta go. We've gotta be praying fervently. And the last thing is that we've got to be believing what God says, right? Some of us, maybe we we would say we believe that this passage is true, but functionally, we treat it as as if it doesn't work, as if it's not true, right? But God says, no, I, I long to bless you, and let me show you how much more I'm able to do that. Let me show you how much better my power is than you can even imagine, right? Like, it's like God's, God's divine storehouses of his grace and his goodness have been made available to us through Jesus Christ, and we've been given the key to open the door, and that key is prayer. And we've got to believe, we've got to believe that what God is saying is true. We've got to believe that it's true. Last thing, we, we just want to think, let's think for a moment here about what it looks like to put prayer into practice in our life, right? If we understand that it's God's desire, it's God's command for his people to pray, he wants us to pray fervently, he wants us to pray in dependence on him, he wants us to believe in who he says he is, right? That he's the good heavenly father who longs to do what is good and right for us. He wants us to pray in accordance with his character, his will and desires. What do we need to do today? What do we need to do this week to be changed by this text? First is pray. Set aside time, pray, right? Find time in your schedule. Do it in a way that you can concentrate. Go to, go to Matthew chapter six, right? Spend time studying God's word and allow God to shape you in what you pray for, right? Listen to yourself pray. Ask yourself, okay, what are the things that I've prayed for over the last week? Are those things that I can go to God with confidence and expect 
that he is going to do? Or are those things that maybe it's okay to ask for that, but I need to, I need to do as Matthew 6 would say, say, thy will be done. Right? I might ask for health, I might ask for safety, but God, if you've got a better plan than that for me, then your will be done, not mine. I'm going to hold that with an open hand, and I'm going to spend the most umph of my prayers on things that I know for sure that you're going to do. Right? Things that you've declared that you're going to do in your word. Second thing is, is pray without ceasing. Right? 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we remember that one, right? Pray without ceasing. Right? We need to be weaving uh, prayer into the fabric of every aspect of of our life, right? That as we're driving in our car, we're praying. As we're mowing the lawn, we're praying. As we're doing the dishes, we're praying. We're praying before we come to church. We're, we're getting together with our family and praying for church on a, on a, on a Saturday night, right? One thing that I, I would ask you guys to pray for is in line with Ephesians 6, where Paul asks the Ephesians church to pray for him, that, that he would speak the word of the Lord boldly as, as he ought to, as he ought to speak. And I just want you guys to know that, that Ken and Blake and I and, and whoever else would come in and fill the pulpit here at Lakeside, that we are, we are very ordinary guys, right? If God does something as a result of, of, of this time together, it's not because I'm eloquent or Ken's a great public speaker. It's because God is using his word through weak people like us like Ken and I. We're, we're, we're just guys. We're guys that God has gifted and equipped, but we're still in the process of our sanctification, just like, just like every other Christian is. And so we need you. We need you to pray for us. As I was reading this week, one preacher once said, um, any church may have a mighty man of God for its pastor if it is willing to pay the price. And that price is not a great salary, but great praying. We need you to pray for us, right? We, we know that God uses the preaching of his word and, and that's something that w- we can't accomplish in and of ourselves. I can't put together a good enough sermon that, is, that I'm sure is going to have the effect of doing something that I know I can't do, right? It's God who has to impress his word onto the hearts of his people. It's God who has to give wisdom and knowing how to explain God's word clearly and boldly as we ought to do it. We need you guys to pray for us. We need some of you to just say, hey, I'm going to make Saturday nights my praying for Sunday time, right? We're blessed with, we're blessed with, you know, plenty of space here at Lakeside that we've been able to, to, to jump into, uh, and there's no shortage of space for people to meet in, right? If you want to get together at 730 uh, to pray uh, before, before Sunday, if you want to come early there's nothing stopping you. We, we do, we do try, to, try, to, try to provide times for you to pray with other believers, right? The first Sunday of ev- or the first Wednesday of every month, uh, we have a time of prayer in, on here on Wednesday nights, right? That's not this week, but the next week. Those should be the most packed out times at Lakeside Bible Church because we all are desperate before the Lord and we know that there's a ton of things that we need God to do that I can't do and Ken can't do and, and, and we as elders can't do that only God can do his work with his word in a way that's so far beyond what we're able to accomplish in our own strength. We need, we need you to pray, right? I had someone preach this in the first service and someone was like, hey, during equipping hour, there's no rooms available. We had to go out to our car and pray for the next service. It's like, well, okay, let me make my office available. So, hey, you want to go to my office, right? It doesn't have to be a formal thing. But the, the last thing, right, is we put it into practice that we got to gather with other believers, right? We see that in the early church, that if we love prayer, we should love praying together 
with other people, right? That doesn't have to be, we provide one formal opportunity, but it can be informal. It can just be you and your husband or your wife, right? Saying, hey, we're gonna spend time praying together. We're gonna spend time asking God to do families, praying together, saying we wanna pray for the ministry of Lakeside Bible Church. We wanna pray for the elders, pray for the pastors, pray for the gospel to go out. We need to be, we need to be praying. And let me just encourage you that that prayer is the only thing that works. I was reading this week, uh, many of you familiar with D.L. Moody, right? Kind of a great pastor and and evangelist. Um, God used him in pronounced ways kind of earlier in the 1900s to lead revival here in America and over in in England, used him in, in powerful ways. Um, and, you know, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago is still there in downtown and being faithful uh, to proclaim God's word even, even today. And, uh, but D.L. Moody wasn't always D.L. Moody as we, as we know him today, right? And we're like, whoa, D.L. Moody, like that's, that, that guy's awesome, right? And, and he tells the story of, of how that all came about. Like how, how did God use just a guy like D.L. Moody to become this great evangelist and pastor that God used in such great ways? And he says, hey, it was right after the Chicago fire. I don't know if you're familiar with the Chicago fire where a, a whole portion of Chicago was, was, was kind of burned up. And so he had spent you know, a number of months just trying to you know, get enough to provide for the needs of those that had lost their homes and their church and trying to you know, get enough money together to kind of rebuild their church building. And then after that time, he was just exhausted. He was discouraged. And so he said, hey, I'm gonna get away to England. I'm gonna go away to London and I'm just gonna spend a few weeks, maybe go to London for a little while, go to Ireland and just be refreshed, try to, try to recharge and then come back into ministry. And so he goes there just kind of on vacation, not wanting to preach. Somebody finds out who's got a church there that he's, that he's in town. And so they ask him to preach on a Sunday. They ask him to preach Sunday morning and Sunday night. And kind of reluctantly, he, he says yes. And so he preaches Sunday morning and he just, he describes it as if he was feeling like I was dragging a very heavy weight up a hill. That just preaching was not, was not flowing. It wasn't going the way he hoped it would. And he just felt very, very discouraged afterwards. And, and so after the service, he's talking to the pastor and, and even trying to get out of his commitment to speak on Sunday night, saying, hey, can I, can I not, not do this, just discouraged and, and needing rest? And the pastor's like, oh, no, 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 you're gonna, you're gonna preach on, on Sunday night. And so he comes back and he's preaching and it's like everything is different, right? That weight, that, you know, preaching, you know, proclaiming God's word felt like there was power in that, right? That there was a difference, right? That the people were tracking with him, and, and he could even see God working among the people that he was preaching to as he was preaching. And so he said, I, I did something that I didn't often do, is that I called people to respond. You know, I, I felt like I was proclaiming the gospel, and I was wanting to give people an opportunity to respond. So he didn't do an altar call or anything, but he just said, hey, hey, hey if you're willing to give your life to the Lord right now, just stand up. And 500 people, there's about maybe 1,200 people total that are there that night, 500 people stand up. And, and, and Moody's like, this can't be true. Sit down, everybody, right? And so he intensifies the gospel call, thinking, okay, this will clarify some things for some people, and they'll, you know, you know fewer people, you know, maybe 10, maybe 10 will stand up. You know, 490 people, they just were not thinking, thinking clearly. So he intensifies it, and, and then asks for it again, 500 people stand up. And he's like, no, this can't, can't be happening quite like this. So he says, okay, well, if you're really serious about giving your life to the Lord, uh, kind of come back behind the, uh, the pulpit area into kind of the church office area, and, and, and we'll be there and we'll talk, right? 500 people crowd in to the office area. 
And, and he's still thinking, no, this, this can't, be, can't be real, can't be, can't be true, and says, okay, if you're really serious about this, come back tomorrow night, Monday evening, your pastor will be here, and he'll take care of you, right? I'm going to Ireland, and, and I'll see you later, right? So he goes, and he departs, and he goes to Ireland, and, and, and immediately when he gets there, there's a telegram waiting for him, and it's the pastor of this church saying, 600 people came on Monday night, you must come back and help me. And, and so, so he does, right? He, he, he rushes back and spends basically the next month working alongside this pastor to get these new believers plugged into, plugged into the church and talk through the gospel with them, and they just see hundreds of people get saved and give their life to Jesus Christ. And it's this awesome story that kind of, you know, they invited him back later, and God used that time in a, in a profound way. And, and as D.L. Moody was telling this story, the person who, uh, who was listening to it said, oh, you must have had somebody praying for you. He's like, oh, I didn't tell you that? That's the best part of this story. He says, let me tell you about these two sisters that, that go to this church, right? And one of them is bedridden, and one of them's not. And so the one who's not goes to the first service, and, you know, hears, hears me preach, and kind of come home, comes home to her bedridden sister, and her bedridden sister's like, oh, who, who preached this morning? And she says, oh, it was Mr. Moody of Chicago. And the bedridden sister's just like, Mr. Moody of Chicago? I've, I've read about him in an American paper and I have been praying for God to bring him to London. And I've been praying for God to bring him to our church for a long period of time. And she says, she says this, if I had known he was to preach this morning, I would have eaten no breakfast. I would have spent the whole morning in fasting and prayer. It's the afternoon by this time. And she says, now sister, go out, lock the door, do not let anyone come to see me. Do not let them send me any dinner. I'm going to spend the whole afternoon and evening in fasting and praying. And pray she did, and God answered. Right? That we could say that revival is brought upon by spirit-empowered preaching, but spirit-empowered preaching is brought upon by prayer. Get excited, guys. This is a passage where God is making promises to us as his people, and he longs for us to pray. He longs for us to take him at his word and to ask him. And he says, how much more am I gonna show you my power and my goodness so that everyone is in awe of me? That's what God longs to accomplish in your life, in the life of Lakeside Bible Church here in Montgomery County. And it's waiting. It's waiting for us to ask God for it and to continue to ask God for it until we see him do it. So let's pray together. God, we confess, God, that, that often our prayers are so um, routine and so surface level, God, that we don't really believe. God, I know that there are times this week where I was praying, not really believing that you were powerful and not really believing that, that you were good and that you were able to, to hear my prayer and, and actually allow it to, to come to pass by your grace and your goodness. But God, that's, that's who you describe yourself to be, God. You, you describe yourself as the one who longs for your people that you've redeemed and brought into your family to come to you and ask. And God, we know based on this text what joy would fill our hearts if we saw you answering our prayers in powerful ways. God, that if you transformed our hearts to pray in accordance with your will and your desires that you've made known to us through your word, God, what joy and what excitement, what fervor will we have in prayer 
if, if we did that. And so God, we even just want to pray now that you would help us to pray, that you would teach us to pray, God, that you would convict us about our lack of prayer, that it would no longer be acceptable for us not to pray. But God, that prayer would be the delight and the joy of our hearts as you have intended it for it to be for your people. So God, we ask for your help. God, we ask that you would use your word powerfully through Lakeside Bible Church to bring many to to salvation in Jesus Christ and God, to fill us with great joy and excitement to live for you. We long for that, God. And that is something we cannot do in our own strength. And so we beg you, we beg you, Lord, to work. We beg you to change our hearts through your word even today. In your name we pray, amen.